Thank you, Cookie and Dan, Don, and uh, Corral. Beautiful, wonderful, and so appropriate. Go to John, David, and Joanne as they were singing that uh, beautiful song about the fields really are white under harvest. True here in America, true all over the world. It's my privilege to serve uh, on the local board of directors of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and had a luncheon just a few days ago and I led in prayer and Tom Landry was the speaker and I was seated next uh, to Bill Rogers. Bill is the golf professional at uh, San Antonio Country Club, one of the great golfers in America. He won the British Open, he won the Texas Open, really a very fine person and a very devoted Christian. And I said, uh, Bill, I'm trying to think of the name of a man that I used to watch, because I've played golf ever since I was 10 or 12, and I've watched it and gone to tournaments. And when I, About 1940 or 41, somewhere in there, when I was 14 or 15 years of age, I went to the Colonial or a tournament in Dallas, I can't remember which, and there was a man that was playing that impressed me a great deal. He was a golf professional, of course, but he had, uh, he'd been badly burned. He had uh, uh, burned scars all over his face and his hands. I do not know how much of his body was burned, but he was obviously uh, disfigured from it. But he was an excellent golfer, uh, never in the category of Ben Hogan or Byron Nelson, but uh, very few golfers are ever in that category in that, in that era or any era. But there was, I'd heard some sort of rumors about what had happened to him, and I wanted to find out the facts about it. So I asked Bill if he knew them. He said, uh, said, no, I, I do not know them, uh, but I'm sure Todd Menifee will know. Todd Menifee is a uh, retired professional at San Antonio Country Club, very fine man. Well, Bill Rogers called me the next day and he said, Todd has the answer for you. And he told, related to me the story of Skip Alexander. He was badly burned in a private airplane crash and uh, went through months and months of uh, recuperation and skin grafts. Well, as a person receives those skin grafts, the hand loses a lot of its flexibility, not anything like the normal flexibility of a hand, which would greatly impair someone who made their living uh, with their hands, uh, as a professional golfer would and does. And so he told the physicians who were working on him, they said, we have to fix your hands in a, in a basic configuration. How do you want your hands configured? And Skip Alexander said, I want my hands shaped so I can grip a golf club. He wanted his hands shaped so he could get a hold of a golf club. Jesus Christ has come as our great physician to do exactly the same thing with us, who through the furnaces of life have been scarred or burned, through the failures of life have been hurt, and the great physician has said, I will take those troubles, and if you will allow me, I will shape your life so that you can get a grip on me and on life. And the Apostle Paul relates to that, writes about that in the passage of Scripture I read from the third chapter of the book of Philippians. A man who had been jailed, who had been beaten, who had been left for dead, who had been through all kinds of exigencies and tribulations because of his commitment to Christ, but all along he was asking Christ to shape him, to mold him so that he would be made in the image of God, so that he would be made to grasp what it meant to be a follower of God and to get a hold 
of the meaning of life. Listen to these words as I read them to you, beginning in verse 7. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. I haven't. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This one thing I do. I want my life shaped so that I can get a firm grip on Christ and a firm grip on the meaning of life so that I can never live perfectly, as Paul said, never have and never will, but so that I can live more effectively, more creatively, more positively, more triumphantly for Him. I'm sure a lot of you in this room have read Harvey Pennock's little book, a little red book. It's about golf, but really not much about golf as it is about life. And if you've never played golf in your life, Read Harvey Pennock. It's the number one bestseller among all books about sports that has ever been published. That's how popular it is. And it's his philosophy about life and about golf as it relates to life. And one of the best chapters in the book is a, is a chapter entitled, short chapters, it's Take Dead Aim. And this was a telegram that he sent back in the days when we used to send telegrams. He sent a telegram many years ago Harvey Pennock, probably the greatest teacher of golf that has ever lived. Most of the great golfers in the world in the past few years have been tutored by Harvey Pennock. But he sent this telegram to Betsy Rawls, who was playing for the finals in the U.S. Women's Open Golf Championship. And the telegram was three words, take dead aim. And what he said in this little chapter was, you pick out the target where you want that ball to go. Now, you'll never hit it perfectly. You never will. It's, perfection is un unobtainable in life, in golf, or anything else. But the goal is the important thing. He said, pick out a target down there. And he said, if you pick out a target and put your mind on that, it'll keep you from being nervous, even if thousands of people are standing around watching you. It'll blot everything out if you center your mind on that target down there. And then he said, you keep that target in your mind and your muscles and your subconscious mind will all work together to help you propel that ball in the direction of that target. Very seldom will you ever hit anything close to a perfect shot, but he said you'll not begin to do it unless you take dead aim, unless you get a spot and hit toward it. 
That's exactly what Paul is saying we're to do here. You get Christ as the one that you're going to aim at. I want to be like him. And your subconscious mind, your body, your thoughts, everything about you will begin to move you, to shape you, even as the physician shaped Skip and Alexander's hands, the great physician will shape our hands, our hearts, our minds, so that we'll begin to move in that creative direction. This one thing I do, break life up into days, We keep thinking of it in decades and uh, millenniums. Break life up into days. Even more than that, break it up into just a few hours. Uh, I have a delightful uh, privilege every now and then uh, to be invited to lead the devotional for a high school football team before the game. I've done that now for a number of years. In fact, I've, I've kept a record of it. I've done it 12 times in the last couple of years. High school games. I'll go there and the guys will all be in the locker room and they'll all be suited out, ready to get on the bus or to go out on the field, and I will lead a devotional. And I love doing it. Those kids are so full of enthusiasm and excited about going out there to play. And I have, uh, I've been to some schools two or three times. I've been to Roosevelt. I have been to MacArthur. I have been to Judson. I have been to Madison. I've been to Clark. Um, maybe a couple of others. I can't remember. But I've kept a record because I will always listen to the news that night to see how the team I did the devotional for, how they did. And I want you to know that right now I'm nine and three. I'm one nine and lost three. And uh, a couple of years ago, I was invited to lead the devotional for the Houston Oilers. (laughs) And I did my best, but they got killed. I mean, they were were wiped out. And I told Martha, I said, I'm not a a professional devotional giver. I'm not at that level. I'm pure amateur. I'm a pure amateur. But but I was out at uh, Madison the other evening, uh, about two weeks ago. And uh, Coach Streety, who may be here, is a very fine Christian man, active in his church in New Braunfels, but often he and his wife uh, visit with us. And uh, I was giving the devotional, and I'd been sitting in his office, and I saw on the blackboard some of the goals that they'd set for the team, you know, uh, for the defense, for the offense. Defense, hold the, your opponent under 300 yards total, total yardage. Uh, hold them uh, one to a minimum of one touchdown, uh, to a maximum of one touchdown. Um, hold them to so many uh, first downs, you know, some good defensive goals written out there. And then for the offense, make over 300 yards, make uh, two or three or more touchdowns, uh, do not fumble, do not make any silly mistakes that cause penalties, the kinds of things that you'd expect. And I got to think about what are the goals? So this is what I went in and talked to that high school team about. I said, look, tonight you're going to play a football game, but you're not really going to play a football game this first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, and fourth quarter. You know what you're going to play? You're going to play a series of games that at the maximum will be eight seconds long. A football play, you watch it on television, a football play from the time the ball is snapped till the time the ball is whistled dead will be anywhere from three to five, six, maybe eight seconds. Eight seconds will be a long play, a long run or a long pass or a long kick return. Most plays are about three to five or six seconds in length. So what I said to those boys was this. 
You go out there, forget about the quarter, forget about the stands, forget about everything, forget about everything but the next eight seconds. All you've got to do, if you're on defense, all you've got to do is to put that man in front of you on his back. I said back. <laughs> to you, I said back. But you, that's, that, that's all you've got to do. Forget everything else. Forget about what everybody else is doing. That is your man, and my job for the next eight seconds is to win the game the next eight seconds. Now, if you're on offense, you're going to block. You're going to block. If you're on defense, you're going to key on that ball carrier. Focus eight seconds. And I said, what you're going to do is put eight seconds with eight seconds with eight seconds with eight seconds and with eight seconds. And if you win enough of those eight seconds, you win the ball game. AAs know what I'm talking about. Those of you who are recovering alcoholics or drug addicts, you know. In the 12-step program, you don't say, I am never going to drink again. What do you say? I am not going to take a drink what? Today. I'm going to win the battle today. I'm going to focus on that. This one thing I do. Eight-second concentration upon life. That's just what Jesus said to do. Take life one day at a time. One day at a time. This one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind. Paul, Paul is also saying to us that we're not only to forget the bad things that have happened in our lives, the failures in our lives, we're, we're to forget the good things that have happened. We can't live off of the victories of yesterday. We can't live off the food we ate two weeks ago. The good things that have happened in the past are wonderful, but you can't live off of that. And so Paul is saying, with all of the attainments, don't glory in your attainments, nor grovel in your failures. Forget all of it. Put all of that stuff behind you because you've got an opponent in front of you right now, and you've got an eight-second contest. You've got a one-day contest. Forgetting those things that are behind, all of the great victories of yesterday will not suffice for today. Now we go through trials and troubles and tribulations. How do we handle them? Well, how did this church handle tribulations about 36, 37 years ago? Young church, 9 or 10 years of age, went through a traumatic experience. They were hurt, discouraged. Many of you in this room lived through those days. And 37 years ago, this next month, when I came, Martha and I and our family came to Trinity, the place where you're sitting right now is a hole in the ground. A beautiful children's building was not there. There was an old building there. Half of it was a children's building. A part of it was the office, and the other part down at the far end was a little auditorium, a very makeshift kind of place to worship in. No educational building. Had the activities building, the gymnasium, but all that wonderful educational space where people are studying the Word of God right now was not there. Rubel Center, not there. Alpha Home, not there. Summit Houses, not there. A discouraging time. What did those people do? Did they let those trials and tribulations and discouragements capture them, depress them, make them throw up their hands and quit? No, 
They said, this one thing God has called us to do, and the first sermon I preached 37 years ago this next month to this church was on this same passage of Scripture. We're going to forget those things that are behind, and we're going to reach out to those things that are before, and we're going to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And do you know what you and I are doing right here this morning? We're sitting in the products of their faith. We're receiving the benefits of their commitment. All of these marvelous facilities and programs and ministries are the result of people making that one kind of intensive commitment. And the future depends upon whether you and I are willing in our day to make the same kind of commitment to take these next eight seconds, this next day, and let God add those up into decades and generations to make a difference another 37 years from now that will be far exceeding anything that we're experiencing now or even have thought or dreamed about. Forget those things that are past, and let's reach out to those things that are before. We're not here to just rest on our laurels. We're not here to just enjoy one another's company, as invigorating as that is. We're here to make a difference in today that will make a difference in tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Let me give you a great verse of Scripture from Isaiah 38, 17. You might want to make a note of it and write it down. Hezekiah is talking to God, and he says, you have res- Your love has rescued me from the pit of destruction and you have put all my sins behind your back. Isn't that wonderful? You have, your love has rescued me from the pit of destruction and you have put all my sins behind your back. God doesn't even look back. Put all your sins behind your back and move on. Forgetting those things that are behind and reaching out into those things that are before us. Now the word that Paul uses there in in the Greek language is a word that's an athletic word. He uses a lot of athletic terminology in the Bible. And the word he says that reach out really means he is picturing a runner that's in a competition straining for the finish line, straining for what we used to call the tape. He's straining to get there. Every fiber of his being is moving toward that finish line. Now you watch anybody that's in a competition. You watch anyone in the Olympics when they're running. They don't look to their right or to the left. If they do, somebody go right past them. They never stop and look around. They keep their eye on their goal and they move toward that goal with all the the energy of their being. And Paul says, you're straining to do it. You're pushing yourself to do it. Reaching out to that which is before us. Straining like an athlete, strains to reach the goal line, strains to reach the finish line, strains to get to the basket to make, that, to make the basket, to slam dunk it, straining to do it. It's an athletic word. It's an athletic word that we need to apply to ourselves irrespective of our age. I want to talk to everybody in here 50 years of age or older. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But if you're 50 years of age or older, let me tell you a quote. I want to share with you something that's helped me and is helping me. When I read this, and I can't remember, I thought Martha had told me, and I asked her about it. She said, no, I didn't tell you. You read it somewhere. And I can't figure out where it came from. I'd give them credit for it if I knew, but it's a great, it's a great quote. 
the person said, the older you get, make longer plans. Not shorter plans. The older you get, make longer plans. Because by the making of those longer plans, your whole life will be channeled in a new direction. There will be a new vivification of body, mind, and spirit. There'll be a new energy that comes to you as you begin to move toward plans. You say, well, I may not live long enough to see them come to fruition. Yeah, you probably will. And if you don't, they still will happen if you have that kind of commitment. And what is your goal? Your goal is to sow seed in such a way that the future will benefit from the product of your commitment and your devotion. Uh, the older you get, make longer plans. I hear people every now and then say, I never even, I'm so old, I don't even buy green bananas. <laughs> I hope you won't say that. Let, let me make a suggestion. Instead of saying, I'm not going to buy any green bananas, let me suggest that you go out and buy a piece of property buy some banana trees, build a banana grove, and maybe 10 or 15 years from now, there'll be a big crop. You say, well, I won't be here to see it, but your children will be, and your grandchildren will be. The older you get, make longer plans. You know the shortest biography in history? The shortest biography in history. It's in the Bible. Genesis 527. Here it is. Altogether, Methuselah was 969 and he died. Never achieved anything worth mentioning. All he did was live a long time. Oh, I know he was in the genealogy of Jesus and all of that, that's terrific. But so were a lot of other people who did something. And live 969 years and your life be a zero. Life's not measured in terms of duration. It's measured in terms of intensity. Not how long we live, it's how well we live. 969 years and he died. No wonder we're not getting Social Security payments. Old Methuselah got all of them. He... Imagine how much you would have gotten from 65 to 969. <laughs> mm. Well, you know, it concerns me as I look at my own life and I look at ours and I look at the world in which we live and I look at America. What an obsession we have with collecting things that don't last. Think of how much time and money we spend on stuff that will not last. And God asks us in Isaiah 55 in the second verse, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? 
Why do you spend your money for stuff that doesn't have any substance to it? Doesn't give any real strength to life? Doesn't really make, really make a difference in a person's life? Why do you spend your money for something that's so temporary, so inconsequential, so fragile, so fatal? Why, God said, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And why do you work for that which does not satisfy? My, convicts me to hear God asking me that question. Maybe it will you, maybe it will us as a church. We think about Vision 2000, what's going to make a difference in, in the year 2000. 2000 is not the issue. My dear friends and brothers in Christ in this church, the issue is not the year 2000. The issue is today. This eight seconds. This day. And if God gives us breath, tomorrow. It's it. That's it. The best we can, tomorrow. Invest our lives, our money, our time in that which is going to make a difference tomorrow. And if it lasts a million years, to God be the glory. But we do it now. Do it now. And then Paul concludes by saying, press on. I'm going to press on toward the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's an old phrase, and I don't know who first said it, but it's been oft quoted and bears repeating often time and time again. Only one life will soon be passed only what's done for Christ will last. Only what's done for the bread of life will last. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread for life? The bread of life. Closing word. Imagine that when you're born, you're given $30,000, and that's all you're going to get for the rest of your life. $30,000. And that's going to have to last you as long as you live. Now just try to imagine how careful you would be with each one of those dollars. How careful you'd be that each one of those dollars was spent in a way that was really going to make a difference in your life or in the life of someone else. $30,000. Now, what I want you to do is transfer dollars today. Let one dollar equal one day. And at birth, you're given 30,000 days. Seems, why, 30,000 days. If you live 30,000 days, you will live a few months past 82 years of age. Some may get less than 30. Some may get more. The point I want to make is, how careful you would be with each dollar to make it count if that's all you had. Therefore, how careful we must be with each day that we make it count for Christ. This one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching out to those things that are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God 
in Christ Jesus. Would you make that step this morning to say, I'll trust him, I'll follow him, I'll acknowledge him, or to say, I want to be a part of a group of people who together want to press on to make a difference tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow as long as God gives us breath? I want to be a part of a church that is endeavoring by its life and work by the way it spends its time and energy and money to make a difference in the world today that will make a difference in the world for our children and for our grandchildren or for children yet unborn? Well, I invite you to come be a part of this fellowship if God is inviting you by His Spirit to trust His Son as your Savior, to come trust His church to be a part of your family. We will try to encourage you and your coming will encourage us and we'll hold hands and hearts together and endeavor to worship and honor God and to take dead aim to move out to reach the goal that is set before us. I'll be here to greet you. In the early service this morning when the invitation was given, a young man stepped out and he came down that center aisle like Emmett Smith's going to come down the, through that Philadelphia line tomorrow night, right down that line, right down the middle. He came down and I said, man, you've come to join. He said, I've come to join this church. Said, I want to be a part of this church. Well, he's already pressing on, straining toward that finish line. Don't wait. If God's impressing you to come, come now. I'll be here to greet you. We stand, we sing God's invitation. <laughs>